You're listening to the Soul Care Podcast. I'm Elaine Hamilton, the founder of the Soul Care House, a group of therapists working in community with a shared perspective about the path towards healing and change. This podcast is about creating a space for real conversations about real life struggles, a place where you can gather insight and support for issues that are relevant to you and the people you love. So sit back, put your feet up, and let's talk. I'm sitting here with Charlie Roos, who's the clinical director of the Soul Care House. Charlie, you want to say hi? Hi, everybody. Good to be with you. Nice job. <laughs> uh, we thought we'd address some heavy topics today, as we do here at the Soul Care House all the time. Um, we're going to talk about infidelity. Uh, so we're going to be talking about some of the dynamics of that, why that might be happening, what the different kinds of that look like, and especially what recovery can look like. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in. It's also probably the topic we talk about the most. Yeah. Arguably. Yeah. Potentially. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, w- one of the things that uh, I-, I found myself noticing is there's there there's some categories it seems right for for what affairs are about and they it seems like they make a kind of a statement. So one of the things when I'm working with a couple, I I want to figure out it's like what is the statement the affair is making? What is the infidelity about? It's good. And uh, one of the things we see not that often What's in... your source for this material by the way? <laughs> Gosh, you're so funny. <laughs> well, this is actually in Church on the Couch written by Elaine Martins Hamilton. Oh my gosh, three-time author and professor <laughs> Elaine Martins Hamilton. So you're, good. You're too kind. So uh, anyway, one of the things uh, that we see, a statement that we see is, I can do whatever I want. So sometimes a couple will come in and one of the partners is presenting with this kind of an attitude. And oftentimes that person has no shame or remorse about the, re- the affair. There's a real lack of concern regarding the impact of their actions on their family. And there's this belief that my own needs are always more important than everyone else's. So the, the spouse here, the family here is maybe more like a possession to keep or toss and they use power um, to manipulate people in lots of areas of their lives. Uh, these folks don't often come to therapy because they don't feel like they need it, right? So we're, right. we're talking about folks who are kind of in the range of narcissistic personality disorder, For right? For sure. And Those... often are super, in my experience, super confused of what the big deal is too. Yes. Like, I don't understand why she's so upset or he's so upset. It's just sex. It's just prostitutes. It's right. just enough. It's why are you so concerned? You're overreacting. Yeah. Which we were joking about earlier is like the crazy category. Like, totally. I feel crazy talking to you about this because you won't validate any of my experience. Yeah. Uh, that this is a problem. Yeah. And then not only are, is the affair violating, it's the conver- the conversations about the affair over are violating. Over and over and right? over. Yeah. You just will not accept any responsibility for devastating me. Right. right? For, that's a great way of saying it. It's pretty terrible. Right. So an, another thing that I often see is this the statement looks like this. It's, I want out of this marriage. So in this mm-hmm. case, the person who's cheated is very dissatisfied with the marriage. Uh, they may have tried to create change in the past, and now they've just given up. It's like they're no longer making any effort. Uh, there's a lot of emotional distance between the spouses. They're kind of checked out from each other. Um, and and the, the spouse who uh, cheats gets very focused on taking care of their own needs. So in this case, the person is, rather than dealing with things directly and saying, hey, 
I think our marriage is is a train wreck and we got to figure out, are we staying? Are we going? Right. Um, this person might choose to sabotage the marriage with an affair to create a crisis and force an end. I remember even talking to somebody who said, you know, I went to three or four therapy sessions to kind of check the box, mm. but I knew I was done. Mm-hmm. And it's that idea of like, you know, why even, why yeah. even bother? If this is how you're sort of killing off the marriage then right it's right it's probably good to just embrace that and not pretend like this is yeah. there's a desire to fix this or something yeah and i think sometimes people don't know that they're trying to force an end but they'll they'll look back afterwards and go yeah i guess i i really was wanting out but i couldn't bring myself to right. say it i didn't want to be responsible for the end of the relationship i didn't want to you know whatever it was i didn't want to blow my family up so they do it in this sort of unconscious Oh my gosh! Look what happened. I somehow find found myself right. in an affair and <laughs> fell into her bed. It was so weird. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's true. So that's another option. And it's sort of a. We may expect that from a more passive personality, mm. somebody who lacks some assertiveness, mm-hmm. some shame around desire, you know, because it's. I, I'm so sorry. I had an affair. Is easier than saying sometimes for people. I just don't want to be married to you anymore. Yes. You know, so if I can yeah. get you to end it, then I don't have to actually own my own feelings right. and own what I actually want. Yeah, because an affair for lots of people is a deal breaker, right? So uh, I know that there's not going to be a lot of confusing back and forth conversation around whether we're totally. ending or not because I really blew it up in your face, right? So right. Um, it's, yeah. a, it's a more... Um, you can feel more confident that you're really going to end the marriage if you do something that devastates your partner like that. And as an important thing, that based on what you're saying, Elaine, I mean, that's good for people to reflect on. If I know this is a deal breaker and I do it anyway, mm. maybe I'm not as into this marriage as I keep saying I am. Right. Like, I keep doing things that I know will end it. Yeah. It's worth exploring. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of times that person, the person in this category has a lot of, uh, there's there's a lack of self-awareness, right? Like I, I don't want to own, like you were saying, a more passive person. It's like, I don't want to own how unhappy I am and how right. lost I feel here. Or how angry I or am. Or how angry, yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, a third uh, thing we see often is the look what you made me do statement. Um, oh yeah. Right. It's good. Like I'm so <laughs> frustrated. Uh-huh. I've been trying to say for years that I miss you. I need you. I want more attention. I want more sex. I want more closeness. I want us to handle conflict. I want more engagement. And what's your response to those people? Gosh. Well, yeah, it's the it's a very backwards way of trying to get what you want, right? Because yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. I want a new house, so I burn mine down. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to go about it. So, yeah, it's it's sort of like I've I've created a crisis, but in the middle of this crisis, what I want to keep focusing on is you made me do this. Yeah. I've been trying to get your attention for years, and so I finally went and did something that I knew would be big enough for you to say, "Hey, what's going on?" Right. Right. So like I can't um, get your attention any other way. Yes. Do you think that's true? That there there is no other way. Well, I th- I think some t- sometimes these folks feel like there is no yeah. other way, right? Like they've they've tried lots of conversations, or they've tried 
making a lot of changes himself or whatever and right. it just looks like my partner does not want to engage with me and rather than just uh facing the reality of that like yeah my i'm married to someone who doesn't really want to be close to me and then directly addressing that there's this attempt you know sort of like some of us did in high school right it's like Mm. i want my boyfriend to pay more attention to me so i'm gonna like flirt with other boys boys and then see if i can get a little more juice out of you did some of us do that in high school (laughs) I, i mean i'm not naming any names or owning that but it's possible <laughs> for others it's a good strategy exactly mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah so the the third or the fourth one that we see a lot in therapy mm-hmm. is more the statement of i'm out of control help me right and this is your area of expertise right it's yeah. like these folks who are like very compulsive yeah and they they feel desperate for help and deep shame about their behaviors and yet feel completely powerless to address that yes and i'd say probably the category of those four that would most likely seek out counseling yes because there is remorse and guilt and shame and and a deep sense of uh of regret and we were talking earlier a little bit about uh the different stages or levels of that out of control feeling Mm -hmm. which i think could be everything from I just can't stop looking at pornography and that's really hurtful to my spouse and they keep catching me and wondering, are you not satisfied with me? Do you not like how I look? Am I not enough for you? All the way to, I just went on another business trip and had another affair and another one night stand and I, this, a lot of the stories are, are even, you know, hours before knowing like, I know I'm going to sleep with this person. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting on the plane with them, grooming them for a hookup in five hours, knowing I don't actually want that, knowing that it's got total control over me, I might even like try to even sabotage it slightly along the way, but it's like a completely powerless, uh, out of control feeling. And then that can escalate into paid sex and prostitutes and massage parlors. And, you know, it just like a dick, like all addictions do, they progress, it gets worse Mm -hmm. and the feelings get more and more out of control. The behavior gets out of control. And usually the devastation to the marriage gets more and more out of control, which I also think is good to say a lot of times spouses, those who are married to somebody who's really out of control in this way, will try to find, they want to give their, they love their husband or their wife. So they give them benefit of the doubt of like, well, he'll grow out of it or she'll grow out of it, or this is just a phase or he was just stressed or she was just stressed. And it's really important if this is an ongoing pattern that you're seeing, it's not just going to go away. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that really needs to be addressed. It's something that needs to be uh, really opened up pretty deeply in terms of childhood and deep traumas and wounds, and because these things don't just happen right. out of nowhere. Right. So if you if you were to talk about causes of compulsive sexuality, yeah. like how what would you describe as like the basic causes of that? Yeah, it was actually. Uh, so Patrick Carnes, the sort of guru on sex addiction, talks about three causes of what causes it. He says it's, it is uh, brain chemistry, which I, he calls it, he's neurobiology, which I think is the idea that there are people who are more susceptible to addiction than others. Mm-hmm. Like you are born with your brain chemistry to some degree, and you might just, you might like the intensity, the serotonin rush, the dopamine rush, the oxytocin, all the different hormones that go on in the brain, your brain might like those things more than other people. And so you're more susceptible to addictive behavior. 
He also says trauma is a big one. So traumatic events, that can be everything from having like a really traumatic birth, which we often don't even think of things, trauma going back to Mm. that young, but also physical and emotional abuse and sexual abuse. Those are, um, Patrick Carnes says that 70% of sex addicts have, no, 90% have some sort of abuse in their life. Um, 90% are at the very least emotionally abused. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the trauma is usually all over the life of somebody who struggles with, with any sort of sexual addiction, infidelity, pornography addiction. And so you've got the, the brain chemistry, the trauma history, and then just the family, your family. Like how, how did your mm-hmm. family, what was modeled sexually? Was there a lot of intimacy? Was there connection? Were people close? So often uh, sexually addictive and compulsive behaviors are a substitute for feeling bonded and feeling close and connected. Right. And so as a, you know, often you, the, the age it usually starts is right at the beginning of puberty, 10 to 12 years old. And most men or women I talked to would say, it, I was lonely, I was disconnected, mm-hmm. nobody understood me, I didn't feel like there was much affirmation, I just kind of emotionally really empty, and these behaviors gave me a sense of wholeness and freedom, and I felt okay about myself. Then you fast forward 10, 15, 20 years, they're married, mm-hmm. still doing that, and it's, for the spouse, it's like, well, this is obviously about me. Right, And it's right. one important ideal reality to embrace is it was there long before you right it was there during the dating and it was there after you got married yeah which means it's really not about you though right. it is very personal and very painful yeah and that's the big challenge right in therapy uh is how to unhook the partner's compulsive acting out from you personally and your identity yes right. i mean a lot of times I'll hear women say it's because I'm, I'm not pretty enough or there's something right. wrong with my body or we weren't having sex enough and um, just really having to educate people about like this existed way before you and it right. would have happened whoever they were married to, right? This is compulsive behavior that is generated by trauma in their life. Yeah, and Jennifer Lawrence could be their wife yes. and there's no, that's what exactly. you said earlier. It's, that's, it's not, there's no... Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I remember thinking years ago uh, when Halle Berry's husband, whoever she was married yes. to back then, right? Like when I heard about um, the the sex addiction happening there, I was like, gosh, if Halle Berry is not enough for someone, <laughs> right. none of us are enough. Right. right? It's just um, helping people get really clear about while it's devastating and and very personal in that way that that it's happening between the two of you it really isn't about you and that's that's a big um hump for people to get over to move through huge hump yeah and it does i think the what's so tricky there is sex is does tap into our identity and our sense of belonging and safety and being wanted and being uh secure and so of course how could an affair not raise all those questions right and that's part of why it's so hard to like repair it is because it does raise all those questions and you have to sort through the mess of, okay, it's not about me, but it sure as hell is hurtful right. and really hard. And mm-hmm. you did want someone else, but that doesn't mean it's because I'm not enough. It's because you have all these wounds and this trauma and this pain. Right. And so it's all this mess to sort out and yeah. heal from. And, 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 and I think it's also good to say... For different people being cheated on, uh, depending mm-hmm. on your previous history mm-hmm. and trauma history, 
it, um, there's various. De- I, I remember hearing one woman say like, "I'm just not built to go through this." She just yeah. she just couldn't go through it. She's yeah. like, I'm just not wired for it. And some of that was her trauma history. Some of it was personality. Um, but some people kind of just bounce through it, and you go yeah. like, "This is." You're handling this remarkably right, well. Like, right, right. Who are you? You know, how do you? Yeah. How are you getting through this so easily? So right, right. It just depends on the person too. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with either way. I mean, it's, right. It's, it right. should be devastating. That's it's not. It's yeah. Not like, it's surprising when someone's. Yeah, I think I think one of the dynamics we see with um, couples in this category with the compulsive acting out is. Uh, Oftentimes, the spouse who feels compulsive around their behavior is greatly relieved to finally be in therapy. There's yes. this sense of like, oh my gosh, I have been living this terrible secret life that I am humiliated about. And now finally, I've been forced, right? Like, this is it. This is the end of the road for me. And now there's finally an opportunity for me to get better, right? To, right. I've got some people on my team who know how to handle this and... Uh, I ha- I've crashed. I've crashed, and now I have a chance, right? And then the partner who's been cheated on is, of course, devastated. Like, oh. oftentimes there's this sense of like, I knew intuitively that something was off, and I yep. was I've been worried about that for years. But this is not. This was not on my radar. This level of betrayal. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, was not on my radar. Yes, which we talk about a lot in ther- the where you have the the spouse who's been unfaithful is relieved. Yes. And the spouse who's been wounded is yes. devastated. Yeah. And so you have this like, well, I'm glad you feel better, but I right. feel... Right. Like, shit. I mean, I yes. feel terrible. You use the yes. analogy like, you fell off your horse and stabbed me on the way down. I mean, yeah. it's like... Yeah. Thanks. Honey. Yeah. To me, it's like I use this anal- another analogy too. Sometimes about like it's like the two of you were driving in a car and your spouse was driving very erratically and you felt unsafe all this time, and then suddenly they crash the car into a tree and you know so you've been thrown from the car. You're lying in the ditch. You went through the windshield. You're bleeding everywhere and everything is broken. You're lying in the ditch, and your partner's like. Now he's like checking out under the car and all of his buddies have gathered around. His therapist is there and they're they're all like, what was wrong with the car? Why did we crash? And there's like, oh my gosh, the brakes were out and this wasn't working. This is such a relief to understand why we crashed into the tree. And... You know, the other Where'd partners... Where did you learn to drive? Who taught you? And this is, we need to figure this out. Yeah, and there's a sense of like, oh, we're really getting stuff figured out. And this is really mm. beautiful. And did then... your dad crash cars a lot? <laughs> yes. Lots of conversations yeah. like that. But then the other partner, the betrayed partners in the dish, like, is anybody going to even notice? Like, I'm, I'm not okay. Right. And is anybody going to attend to this? Is anybody going to, you know, take me to the hospital? Is any gonna, anybody going to see how terrifying it Lonely. and how much pain I'm in? So they're, they're in these very different places oftentimes when they yeah. come to therapy. So navigating that for both of them is really tricky. Yeah, that is really tricky. And to be, I think it's just a good, it's just good to name the, the need for real intentionality and care for yeah. anybody who's going through that level of betrayal because you're yeah. right we do rush to contain the damage of the mm-hmm. addict or the person who's been unfaithful oftentimes sort of assuming like well the other partner will be fine if he if their spouse gets better right like all they need is for that person to get better right when in reality it's like no they need a lot of care concern 
Mm-hmm. They, they usually need their own therapy to grieve and right. process. And yeah, it feels like the like the rug has been pulled out from under you, and there's this sense of like, yeah. I I don't know what's real anymore. Because usually there's been a lot of lying, which in some ways feels as bad or worse than the betrayal. And I often hear that, like if he yes. just if he or she just would have told me, right, this wouldn't be so bad. Right. But often it's, I actually asked him six times, yes. or her six times, Are you, something's going on, yes. I'm finding receipts, the internet has been weird, right. you're getting these emails, like just, for God's sakes, tell me. Yes. And then when it all falls apart, it's like, so yeah. for that whole 18 months, you lied to me at least a dozen times, that's, right. that can be the bigger... And often they were feeling crazy, right? Like, I, I'm i suspicious and I keep bringing these things to you and then you keep telling me what's my problem. Right. And then I'm wondering, do I have a problem? Like, what is wrong with me that I'm going here with this? Like, why yes. am I... Why am I so distrustful, right? And and then when the truth comes out, it's like, oh my gosh, right? right? Like now I can't trust myself ever, right? Right? Uh, yes, it's I've terrible. Seen, I've seen that so many times, especially when, unfortunately, part of being an addict is the crazy deception, crazy lying. You know, yeah. defend yourself at all costs, oftentimes, right? And right. so the and highly manipulative. Yes. Yeah. You know. Um, not surprising, I mean, that's sort of how we talk about addicts, but sex addiction is no different in terms of, you know, I've seen spouses just addictive, unfaithful people in their sexual addiction say to their spouses, you're crazy, mm-hmm. you're paranoid, mm-hmm. this is about you and your family of origin, this is because of your mom. I mean, putting all the psychological right. and personality weapons they can to really try to, and all in service of just getting that person to back off. Yeah. And they're, they were right all, all along. All it's along. like everything yeah. you saw was true. Right. And you were told for years that you were crazy. Yes, yes. And when, uh, when that finally all comes to light, yes. that can be, that takes a long time to repair. It sure to does. trust. <laughs> so you lied to me and told me I was crazy to protect yourself. Right. Like, wow. Right. Okay. And as terrible as all of this is, is we watch, re- we watch couples recover from this every day. There is hope. Isn't it amazing? It's it is a, true. it's it's amazing to me that people have the strength and the resilience to push through this. Right. They do get better. And oh, it'll probably be good for us to talk about that. Yeah. So what how do you see the process of recovery? Like what are the things yeah. that have to happen for, sure. for people to really move through this and, and get to a place where they can trust and bond with each other again? Right. Well what I would say with my clients is if I had to narrow it down into one, I'd be curious to know your answer too, mm-hmm. but if I could narrow it down into one deal breaker in terms of like, if you have this, there's probably hope. If you don't, I'm not sure. Yeah. Would be the offending spouse, like the, the cheating spouse, having a posture of, I will do whatever it takes for however it however long it takes to make sure this gets better and healed. When that's there, the the pace of the recovery is way faster Mm-hmm. The healing is much faster. But when there's like any resistance, you're making this a bigger deal than it needs to be. I don't understand why this is so hard for you. How many times do we have to have this conversation? Right. This shouldn't be so hard. I feel like you're just so needy. All those, they just block the process. They're just right. not. Right. It's, it's just going to make it worse. Because really what you're doing is just re-traumatizing that person. Yeah. You're reopening up those wounds. And um, so, yeah, first and foremost, I would say willingness. Would be yeah. would be the the big game changer there. Yeah. And then, 
Is there some? Would you agree with that? Or would you say? hundred percent. Okay. Like the I will do whatever it takes. I think that's huge. Right. Because like remorse alone is not enough, right? No. We've talked about that a bunch of times. How, like. We, we all feel terrible about a lot of things that we do, but we keep doing them, right. right? So feeling terrible about something is not an indicator that change is going to happen. It, it's a part of change happening, but it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that change is going to happen. And so sure. you really need that like show me the money piece, right? Like, and right. that is I will do whatever it takes for as long right. as it takes to change the way that I function with myself and in this relationship, mm-hmm. uh, this is what I'm committed to moving forward. Well, that so, you know, Sue Johnson, the emotionally focused therapy creator. It's a it's a great model for helping couples heal. But she, but she says we uh, at the Soul Grouse we talk a lot about her kind of threefold model for repairing something like mm-hmm. a, 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 an affair, and one really important part is to feel really validated and understood. So like, right. if that's not there, that's a problem, which means, can you validate how hard this is for me? How hurtful can, will you just agree? Like you did lie 15 times. You're right. I lied to you 15 times and right. that was wrong. Shouldn't right. have done that. So all the validation in the world is important. It's not the only thing, but it's a big piece. The remorse and apologies do matter. That's the yeah. second thing she talks about. And we do want to apologize. And oftentimes this isn't one time either. This is like, I will validate you for the next two years, mm-hmm. <laughs> your experience. And I'll mm-hmm. apologize every day for two years if needed to, to help heal this. So just these are ongoing conversations. And then the third thing, which is what we're talking about, which is a changed life. So right. I really want to see different action. And that's so often what's missing is, oh yeah, he'll, he or she will validate me and they'll apologize all day. But then when I say, will you go to a 12-step meeting for sex addiction? They won't go. Yeah. Or will you make friends and be honest with a group of men or women about your struggles and check in with them every day? No, I won't do that. Mm-hmm. Will you come to couples counseling every week? No. And that's where the healing most often, I think, breaks down because really the... The addict's lifestyle is a whole rhythm of life. I mean, life gets often structured, the, the life routine gets structured around the acting out. So mm-hmm. I, I wake up and I check my emails to see if anyone wants to hook up later. And then I go to work and I maybe look at porn for a half hour and then I right. take my lunch break and I go act out. And so you have this whole routine and lifestyle yeah. around acting out. And the only way that's really going to change is if you build in a whole new rhythm of life, a whole new way of being. And that yeah. means taking on a whole bunch of new actions that are new and uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but also lead to tremendous growth if you do them and Mm -hmm. healing in the marriage. And and what I so often hear from spouses is, I just feel better when I see him on the phone with his 12-step sponsor. I just feel so much better when I see him doing 12-step work. When I know he's going to his therapy on Wednesdays or whatever, it's really reassuring to me. It's just Mm -hmm. the new routine... Because it's that routine that's going to really help prevent it from happening again. Right, right. No new routine. Why should I trust that you won't just hurt me again? Yeah. yeah and it's so much more than just not acting out, right? It's like it's changing right. my whole inner world. Right. Right. Like I, I, I liken it to uh, in my, in my uh, teens and 20s, I was bulimic. And the dynamic is really very similar, right? Where your whole day is about what you're going to eat, how you're going to get that, how you can be um, alone to do that, how you're going to purge, how you can do that without anybody knowing. Right. And that that's a big part of the addiction. But what's underneath all of that is all the trauma. So yes. like even getting rid of the binging or 
or even starting with just getting rid of purging, right? Like right. that's one step. Then there's getting rid of binging, but Absolutely. you still have to eat, right? Like you still have to deal with totally. food and, and sex addiction is similar. It's like if you're in a, in a relationship, sex is going to be a part of that relationship. And how am I going to have a healthy relationship with sex now? Cause I'm still, that's still a part of who I am and still a healthy part of my relationship. How do I, how do I make that healthy yes. when I'm used to doing that in very dysfunctional, disconnecting ways? Right. So, and I think uh, in the spirit of vulnerability, I appreciate your share on bulimia. <laughs> um, yeah, I got, I got into recovery in 2002 when I was in college for pornography and pornography addiction to really unhealth, unhealthy relationships and kind of serial dating and feeling really out of control sexually and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so that, which you know. Right, right, I do. <laughs> but that, but that uh, and so the process of getting sober from all those things um, over the last 15 years, whatever it's been, uh, yeah, that's, it, it, it has involved 12-step recovery and, and learning all the tools. And it was super uncomfortable. But so I think what you're speaking to in terms of, for me personally, the biggest impact was the trauma work and the trauma mm-hmm. therapy, like getting mm-hmm. into the deep, deep roots of right. where where was the, where were the seeds planted of this behavior. Yeah. Um, and that happens sometimes through 12-step recovery. That certainly helps. But also really good therapy was essential and good couples therapy. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere in there is the like, how do I actually bond with a woman in a way that right. like isn't... Uh, addictive isn't destructive isn't using them mm-hmm. um, I think one of the one really helpful saying in one of the uh, sex addiction 12 steps pro 12 step programs is sex is optional mm-hmm. and learning that reality sex mm-hmm. isn't a need it's it is a great way to bond and connect but I don't need it to live nobody died of a lack of sex right and so um, being mm-hmm. able to being able to like it's okay if a spouse doesn't want to have sex and and yet continuing how to learn how to bond in that way is really important still. Right. Those things. So many layers. So many layers. Oh my gosh. Which could be overwhelming as we're talking about it. Right. But I think it's good to say the 12-step wisdom of one day at a time is really helpful. Yes. It's like it, it gets better, often very quickly. Yeah. If you just, one day at a time, do what you need to do. And I've seen couples have huge turnarounds in three to six months. Right. Just because of how rapid the growth can happen yeah it's kind of like a plant when you like you finally get the soil right and the sunlight right and all of a sudden you're like oh he's doing so well it's been like two weeks yeah you know it's like just sometimes just some small tweaks can really make a huge yeah it's it's beautiful to watch that when it happens it feels like a miracle right it feels like how did you guys do that how'd you pull that off right you're sitting close to each other and there's a lot of tenderness and there's a lot of there's so much honesty and there's so much like I'm trying to be completely undefended and really let you see who I am and <clears throat> really try to see you. And so getting to sit in a room with people who are doing that kind of work is pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. And seeing, um, even seeing couples who would say that in the end it was a gift of sorts for them mm, because mm-hmm. it was like the thing that catalyzed us finally having the intimacy we wanted. Right. Obviously, we don't like have affairs so that right. we can have intimacy with our spouses, <laughs> no. but we do. But we do see people who that becomes their outlook yeah. in, a, in a weird way. Like yeah. a, this has made us stronger, and mm-hmm. it was the the thing that really brought mm-hmm. us the intimacy we wanted. Yeah. Well, let's have another conversation about some more stuff. All right. Another day. Sounds good to me. All right. Have a good day, everyone. Bye.
Thanks for listening to the Soul Care House podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions or comments you have, if there are topics you'd like us to address, let us know. Feel free to contact me at elaine at soulcarehouse.com. If you're interested in knowing more about what we do here at Soul Care, our website is soulcarehouse.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle there is Soul Care House and Barn. Talk to you soon.